0: For rocking with us, check it. Julie kick off the show.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Crazy and the King.
0: Hey, so let me tell you something. Um, I know I'm a little bit older than you are, so I, I got a little bit of history. I got some time on you. You know, I can kind of like put that chest out a little bit because I've just been through some things. I remember doing a bunch of years when I would go into the high schools and speak, Night. 10th, 11th, and 12th graders talking to them about life after high school, not so much so forcing them into uh, a, a pathway of college, but y- you got to do something. Jay, I remember one morning I woke up. This is no exaggeration. And this must've been about 10, maybe 13 years ago. So I did this high school, um, this one particular year, I can't remember. Again, I may have been 40, 41, something like that. Did this particular high school, smashed it. The teacher asked me to come back the next year. The very next year, as I'm preparing to go into that room, you know how you're putting uh, moisturizer and whatnot all on, you know, making your skin look nice and supple and soft. Oh, yeah. I got in the camera. I was like, what the hell is that? So there was one gray strand in my mustache. One year later, cut it with the little scissors. The next year I go to a different school. I'm not exaggerating at all. Like four of them jokers, Mm -hmm. five of them growing wild. The only reason I'm telling you that is because I literally am holding a piece of hair that is transitioning from black to gray and it's really, really like frustrating me right now. I can't like control it. I could go buy some men's <laughs> black dye stuff, whatever, but I'm not going to do that. T is too cool to do that. Like, I listen. You will not catch me in these streets talking about I'd dyed my beard and all that <laughs> other stuff. We're not going out like that at all. But what I will tell you that's on my bucket list is to do a TED talk. Ooh, yes, that is on my bucket. The gray hair yes. thing. We passed that. Yeah. But I have on my bucket list to do a TED Talk. I've only applied one time. Have you ever applied?
1: I have never applied. The closest I've ever come to a TED Talk is where you and I met at Disrupt HR in Chicago, which is TED Talk style. Here we are four years later. Yes, indeed. Um, yes, indeed. But yes, yes indeed. It is also on my bucket list. It just kind of keeps getting pushed down with other stuff that comes oh, up. Okay. So. We okay. need to do that. We need to
0: okay, do that. Okay, wait a minute. So We got to take listeners back because we we do have some new listeners, and, and it's been a while since we've talked about that. We met in September of 2018. Yeah. We had never met before. I had done Chad and Cheese. Uh, Joel Cheeseman, shout out, Joel. You were not in the episode. We need to talk about that again, why you were not in the episode when I was the guest. But Chad- Marshaled that episode, when we got done, he was like, you need to meet my wife. You're both going to be in Chicago at the same time. So I want you to tell listeners just quickly, were you nervous? It was only a five minute talk. Were you nervous? Because I wasn't nervous at all. I was like, give me the freaking mic. Let's roll.
1: Um, I speak all the time. You know that, right? But not something where we're auto advancing the slides and I've got 20 seconds and I got to remember this shit. And on top of it, I'm meeting this guy that my husband is now like semi obsessed with, who is like supposed to be like this big badass. And I'm like, oh, my God. And Tristan, my my youngest, um, was taking the trip up to Chicago with me as the first time he was going to see me speak um, and, and be, you know, professional mom. Oh, God, I was a f- disaster area, which I'm sure was very, very relevant. And I will tell you, um, I don't know if I've ever said this on the mic before. I got up there and I started to stumble over something and Tristan like made the little heart sign at me. And the uh, it like freaking like changed my life. It's probably one of my best memories ever. And then I was like, OK, everything's going to be OK everything's gonna
0: be okay you've never shared that I never knew that I never knew Tristan in the front row was like giving mom love and comfort and affirmation and all of that because I do remember you were like nervous and I'm like okay I don't know her know her but I'm trying to build rapport with her I'm trying to let her know that it's gonna be all right like (laughs) let's just it's 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 five minutes, literally. So yeah. we're going to have fun with that with our guests later in the show, because I do seriously want to do a TED Talk. Low key. This is low key, but it's, it's not shade on anyone else. But I have looked at a number of diversity and inclusion related talks on the TED platform. And I'm going to just tell you, I said to myself, I can do that shit right there. Well, Yeah.
1: Like Rock that shit 10
0: up, times a day. Yeah, Straight up. Like, and I said, and and again, not taking anything away from anybody else. I'm just like, I could do that. Like I can do those 15 minutes or those eight minutes. I think it's nine, 15 and 18. Anyway, we'll ask our guest about that. I'm going to ask her what's on her bucket list. I know on mine, I want to do a Ted talk. So let's do a break. And then let's bring our guest into the episode.
1: another amazing guest. We have been so fortunate this year with like the the just caliber of guests that we're bringing on the show. So, this week, Ted Talk famous, in case you didn't see that coming, Stacy Burnell is joining us and she is passionate about empowering individuals and organizations to live their biggest and I love this most badass lives. She's an outspoken advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion and rep- representation, and she knows how to challenge the status quo every once in a while. From once a bartender to now a board member, she feels purposeful about sharing her message of triumph, and infra- inspiration, and overcoming odds. Stacy, welcome to Crazy in the King.
2: Thank you. Y'all are awesome. I'm just over here, like, I'm happy to be here with y'all. That's
0: right. That's right. And let me tell you something. You know, we're going to get to a point where when we do that whole welcome to Crazy and the King thing, like, confetti is literally going to hit our guests' computers. That would be some rad ass technology right there. We say, Welcome to Crazy and the King. And your computer lights up with confetti and fairy yes. dust and all of the other stuff that folks be reaching for to try to make life better. <laughs> Which reminds me, you don't really subscribe to that whole fairy dust thing. I think you are a person, Stacy, who says if you want diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging to work, you, you have to work at it. Would you agree with that?
2: 100%.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, wait. Three times divorced, three times college dropout by the age of 31. And that's just a part of your story.
2: Yeah. Don't I sound like a real winner? Like right out the gate. (laughs) This this woman sounds fantastic. (laughs)
0: Let me me reinforce that. (laughs) Three times divorced, three times college dropout. All before the age of 31. Take our listeners back into as much of pre-now Stacey that you'd like for them to experience. Because, you know, for the person who's hearing that, that really is, I I don't even know the real, when I heard you say it, I I said to myself, I I literally had, I literally, Stacey, put up three fingers (laughs) and I was like, wow, like before 31,
2: talk about that. I'm an overachiever. What can I say? Uh, and you know, that, that makes me think, think about my husband's perspective because now I'm on husband number four. So he knew all of this (laughs) (laughs) He signed up for this. Uh, but, but he's been along for the fun journey of, of that, that dumpster fire mess that I was when I was 31 to where I am now. So really, uh, I, I, I guess I had a little bit of a, a rough upbringing. I am a survivor of um, childhood sexual abuse. And I think a lot of that, uh, the the trauma that I, that I just never dealt with, and it wreaked havoc on my life. And I didn't really realize it until I got to a healing point in my journey. And I could look back retrospectively and say, well, damn, it makes sense now. I mean, it makes sense when I can look at it through this different lens of Trauma informed um, mental health. So that that's kind of to you know the short summary of it is just a lot of mistakes and missteps. But honestly, I wouldn't change any of it. I would not change any of it, and it has made me a bigger and better badass today because I went through that. I have a whole lot more empathy. I can connect with people a lot better. And when I share my story, I can't tell you how many times other people have grasped onto some piece of it and said, me too. And so, you know, I know I'm not alone. I know so many of us share some commonality. So I'm just very open about it.
0: (laughs) Stacey, you know, uh, we had another guest on who talked about um, refraining from the use of the phrase mental health. And she preferred the phrase, uh, brain health, uh-huh. a more positive, uh, a more positive reach for that reality Yeah. in, in her world and in, in, in ours as well. Language matters.
2: Absolutely.
0: And so not to be the word police, um, mental health, brain health, when you talk about trauma informed, Why is that important? Why is it important for you to be descriptive in that way? You know, trauma informed mental health.
2: Because I knew as a survivor of what I went through, I knew that it was shitty. Like it was to, to, and especially, you know, my abuser was my father and I felt a certain way, but I never until I was in my early 30s, I did not recognize the way my body and my brain reacted and dealt with certain issues. I did not recognize that it was due to trauma. I never made that connection that this thing happened to me and this was the impact it had on me and my behaviors. And so learning that about uh, I read there's this fantastic book called The Body Keeps the Score. If uh, I, I highly recommend it to anyone who's gone through abuse, it's it's really great for um, our veterans and and people who have gone through really high traumatic experiences. But it when I read this book, it was like someone handed me a manual to myself, and um, and I just really learned. You know, it was it was trauma. It was the abuse was traumatic on my. Um, on my body and my mind. So, yeah. And, and I want to say thank you, um,
1: for, for sharing that. I know as a woman sharing these stories, I think are much harder for us sometimes. And as someone who lives with mental illness, sometimes I I almost feel like, does anyone care about the story? Does anyone like relate? It's not, you know, my, disability, my mental health, it's not important enough to talk about. And every time I do it, you get that same moment of someone else coming up to you and saying, I can't believe you're brave enough to say that out loud. And thank you, because it lets me feel like I'm not so alone. Um, And that is just that's so critically important, that authenticity of just saying, yeah, I've fucked up a lot. And that's cool. It's okay, because you know what, it makes me better at who I am today than I would be if I had not made those mistakes and I understand why and I don't continue to beat myself up and, and stay in that same cycle I choose to move forward in this way um and and you know what happened at that point point. and there is nothing more important I will say sometimes in that than a really really good partner and you don't find that on the first time around so many times
2: yep 100 percent
1: And so Torin wants to talk about TED Talks. Before we get too far into all of the other things that we could talk about, let's talk about your TED Talk. Um, Talk about what you talked about and why you chose to have that conversation.
2: My TED Talk is called Confessions of Recovering Nobody. And it kind of goes along with the title of my book is The Things We Don't Talk About. I mean, so you can tell just in the short time we've had this conversation, I've already brought up some topics that they're, they're the things that, you know, we get a little uncomfortable. We uh, maybe it's things we don't want to talk about. So my TED talk was really that journey of how shame and trauma, how those things keep us quiet and small. And my journey to opening up, owning my story, stepping into my space, and all of a sudden finding my voice. And Torin I'm glad that's on your bucket list. Keep it on your bucket list, and I know, like, we're gonna connect later down the road when you do get that, get on that that red circle. And I'm gonna say, hell yeah, I knew, I knew you could do it. So, and I I referenced in my talk that was my fourth attempt. So I I guess, I I guess I do things. I, I fail three times, and then the fourth time, I finally achieve my goal. That's that's what that's my my. You know, everyone says third time's a charm. For me, it's fourth. So I had, I had applied to my local TEDx event, 2017, 2018, 2019. I was like, I give up. I, I, and it was on my vision board. And uh, finally in 2020, I didn't even apply. The organizers actually reached out to me and they said, we've seen what you've done. We've seen your commitment in this community and you're a leader and we've seen how you transform your life and we're inviting you to the TEDx stage. And uh, that's, that's how I finally, got into that highly coveted red circle.
0: But 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 why? But why? Because again, your talk was emotional, it was inviting, it was a variety of other things as well. It was so revealing for those listening when you go to Stacy's website, you're going to see an image of Stacy with graffiti on her body. She is the artist canvas. And so why, why did you want to be in that red circle and be so transparent, so vulnerable? Why, just especially to, to do it repeatedly, even being told no after a life of so many no's and disappointments?
2: Yeah, I know how empowering and life-changing it has been for me to have the courage to share my story to be authentic and vulnerable to open myself up to criticism i mean and i do I, I get people who have all sorts of shit to say about what i what i'm doing but i also have seen the positive effects that it's had i mean in my own life and and again you know every time i've done a presentation and someone comes up to me and opens up about something in their own in their own lives, their own past that they're like, I've never told anyone this. And I think how powerful is that to have that effect on someone else's life? That now maybe they've had something they've been holding on to for years, and now they have the, the courage and they can go out and do the same thing in their life. So for me, it's like if I can help one other person in the world, and I it, it's it's been very very powerful to have strangers that have either read my book or watched my talk or come to one of my presentations and then circled back to me to talk about how it's changed their lives. So for me, that's, that's good enough. That's, that's my why. And I, I
1: mean, I feel that, that that's, that's the power. I think when we get tired and we get frustrated and sometimes we feel a little bit like we're fighting that uphill battle every single day, um, those moments, I think, are what keep us going. It's the energy that is like, let's do this talk again. Let's fight the same battle that we feel like we've been battling because the battle is worth it if even one person um, is impacted. So, you know, how do, how do you kind of sit um, and, and continue to move around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging?
2: Well, first, you know i'm a I'm a biracial woman, and I'm in Utah, which is not super diverse if you know too much about you even if you know a little bit about Utah, being the the parent to a neurodiverse person and knowing what I know now about police interactions with people who are disabled uh, it's it's pretty scary. And so that's been a big part of my platform that I'm really, really invested in making sure that our law enforcement is uh, doing training, that I actually work with our local police station here to um, further conversations around autism, disability, and how law enforcement is um, is interacting with them.
0: You know, I want to jump on that. I want to jump on that real quick, because again, you, you talk about your... Um uh, racial composition, if you will. You, you talk about the fact of the dimension of raising a, a child who is autistic. Uh, I, I'm sure that there are other layers to the equation for you. So are you, Stacey... Uh, Active in the DNI space uh, beyond police interaction and how it shows up in the community, are you consulting with corporations? Are you working with schools? Are you aligned with nonprofits? Elaborate a bit on how you, Stacey, sit in the DNI space.
2: Yeah, all of the above. So i I have been doing uh, speaking. I, I kind of I got into this as a "Quote unquote motivational speaker." I started doing this as, like, you know, if we go back to my TED talk and kind of, I was sharing my story and I was empowering audiences. And it started with kind of like women. I was, I was asked to speak at different women's conferences, and a a couple years into that it wasn't just about women anymore. It was about my experience as a bi- biracial woman, my experience showing up in so many spaces where I'm the only person of color in the room. And I started examining, why is that? Why am I in these spaces that are typically mostly men? And again, no one else who, um, they all look the same. They all are very similar backgrounds. And so I started getting interested in um, diversity in that way and looking at implicit bias. And And so I built a curriculum and started offering it to local companies, like, "Hey, would you be interested in having a conversation around, um, you know, diversity or, or or maybe a lack of diversity in your organization?" And so people were were like, "Sure, come in and, and let's just." So it was kind of this experiment, like, "Let's see how the conversation goes," and it it was uncomfortable. I remember my my first one was a room of all white men and one white woman, and it was really uncomfortable. But I got good feedback from it. So I just started marketing it. I added it to my website. I added it to my, my offerings. And um, I've now become kind of the go-to person in my community. I have, I work with a bunch of local nonprofits. So they bring me in on a regular basis and we have, you know, kind of what's going on this month. It's pride. Okay. What do we need to be talking about with pride? Um, I serve on my cities. We have a diversity commission that is a, uh, a subcommittee that works with our administration and our mayor. So I'm the, I'm currently the chair of that that organization and um, and then you know that's part of why I'm running for my local school board because of my passion in all these areas and seeing where there's a lot of disconnect there's you know we we need to be having these conversations we need to be having representation in in all spaces in our community and and we don't have it so you, you know I, I, I there's
0: something magical about that whole being thrown in the lion's den, so to speak. And so for your to reveal, like, listen, I started, you know, I thought that this thing was going to be, uh, take a motivational arc for me. And now it's taken both a motivational arc as well as, as well as an educational arc. And you, 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 you mentioned the uncomfort, the discomfort. Why was it, was it discomfort because it was new to you? Was it, discomfort because of the composition of the room, you, for the most part, being the only person of color? Why more specifically was it uncomfortable? And talk a bit more about how the white folks in Utah are accepted it.
2: The discomfort comes from a couple places. One, because there's this power dynamic and this hierarchy, right? So I am a woman and I am a, a woman of color. And so that puts me in a particular space, uh, if you will, you know, we think about intersectionality and um, just especially our state is a highly patriarchal state. So right off the bat, I'm kind of this outspoken woman and people have, in the last couple of years, I had a guy one time who told me um, that I was aggressive, that something I said was aggressive. And it made me laugh because never in my life has anyone called me aggressive, but because I have become outspoken because I'm very passionate about these topics. Now that's how certain people in certain positions, that's how they perceive me. And I thought that's very interesting. And that's very telling of you and kind of your perspective versus me. But um, so, yeah, so the, it is it is uncomfortable, although I love it. And I i do not shy away from the discomfort but because I I kind of know, like, I know in their minds where they think I should be, and I'm stepping out of that, and they don't like that. So I I get kind of different ends of the spectrum because it depends on where people are, I think, in their own diversity journeys and what they're willing to accept and work on. But I've had the, the people on the end who are very accepting and saying, "Wow, like you really brought up some things I've never thought about." Thank you for sharing it in a way that was approachable, and and and, and I get that. And then I get the ones who say, "Like that was horrible, <laughs> and uh, you ruined." I had one one guy that said, "You ruined the dynamics of our group because this was a, a, a." And I'm like, "I didn't ruin. If I didn't ruin the dynamics of your group, I came in and helped facilitate a conversation, and some of you." realize that maybe you don't like your colleagues because of they shared things very openly about their their privilege and their power and uh, anyway, so it was it was kind of yeah I get kind of a very broad spectrum of feedback but uh, yeah. Hey, you got to break some things to to fix
1: some things, right? And I I love that. Um, And so before the show start, before we started, you and I were chatting, Stacey, I'm a political junkie, Um, junkie to the part, to the point where I've had to take some steps back for my own mental health, uh, my own stability. Um, You mentioned you're running for school board in, in your city, town, in Utah, there are so many things happening at the local level um, that we are seeing that to me are are terrifying, frankly, about how we are going to um, raise, educate or not educate the, this group of, of young people that we're bringing up in this country right now. And we can already see how a lack of civic and diverse diverse experience education has driven, it probably like our generation, to make some some pretty poor choices as adults. Um, what do you see from from your mom lens, right? But also just from um, your human lens that are kind of like the top priorities for me as a voter to be looking at what my school board is driving, what my local politicians are. Um, Bringing to the conversation when it really is about making sure, and I'm going to say this my way, making sure that white men in the, in the room are never uncomfortable, that we never fuck with their group dynamics, because that's really what they're talking about when they say you've changed our group dynamics. Talk to us about about what you see coming down the pipe.
2: Man, you hit so many nails on the head. So I am... The reason I'm running there was kind of this perfect storm that happened here in my community back in November. So my neighboring school district, it's not the district I'm running in, but my neighboring school district has had a lot of racist issues. Like the department of justice came in and did a three-year investigation and found rampant racism within this school district. So that came out last October in November. In that same school district, a 10-year-old Black autistic student died by suicide because she had been bullied by classmates and also her teacher. When that happened, I, you know, we talk about anger and kind of feeling helpless. And that's, I, I just, I was so angry, like the whole week of just thinking, At what level could that have been stopped? At what point, you know, the the mother had complained to administration. She had complained to the principal. She had complained to the teacher and nothing happened. Nothing happened. And this was the end result. So I felt like, what can I do to implement any type of change? What could I do to prevent this from ever happening again? And really, I don't know. I, I, maybe, I, maybe I won't. But what came to me was get into the space where you have some power, some sway that you could possibly prevent something like this from happening. And because here in Utah, our, across the state, we have less than 3% of people of color in our school boards less than 3%. And now our state is not super diverse, but we have more than 3%. Our population is more than 3% people of color, but we don't have that representation. We don't have it in our state government. We don't have it in our city, our local county governments. We don't have it. And so it trickles down and you feel that you, you, you know, the the people who, who hold the power, they're not thinking about the people who are different than them. They're not thinking about the black, the brown, the LGBTQ, the disabled, because that's not part of their lived experience, and I, I'm like, I have to be in a space where I can bring that perspective and be thinking about those, you know, bring, thinking about the, the ones who are slipping through the cracks, who haven't been been thought about historically. So, I, you know, my fire was lit. I, I, I'm like, I need to be able to use my anger, my I, I call it my rage. <laughs> i need to be able to use it in a productive way and this was the answer was running for my school board
0: which is extremely important you, you, you know the the saying is familiar it's tried and true that all politics are local so the saying is applicable your pursuit is applicable we we need that representation there you know as julie framed the question. I'm thinking on my side, you know, we are struggling with critical race theory and or the acronym of CRT. Mm -hmm. And yet we are we have really, you know, limited. I, I shouldn't say limited. Let me let me be careful in how I phrase this. We have. We have Stacey and Jay a measurable amount of discontent around critical race theory and an equally measurable amount of support for placing guns in teachers' pockets after 24 hours of training. Don't teach them history, but give them a gun. Don't teach them history, but give them a gun. And to me, it's just, I I struggle I struggle to the tune of, you know, Julie talks about she's obsessed so much that she sometimes has to pull back. I struggle with wanting to remain even interested because for me, it's just like the common sense piece of this is just like out of the window. If you want to fight over policy and the semantics of the policy, I kind of get that from a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, whatever point of view. The nuance of the fight, I get that. But on the surface, 30,000 feet up, it's like to me, who in the hell is looking down at that scenario and saying, let's take history out because we don't want our children's feelings to be hurt, but let's give teachers a gun and not even properly train them. Who in their right mind... That's the piece I have. I, I don't. Even, it's it's a rant on my part. Let me just shut up. It just frustrates me. So thank you. Let me just say I appreciate you running, and more than I appreciate you running. Full transparency. I made a donation, and will make another one. Um, and I'm not one that donates to a whole lot of campaigns. I do donate, but in the grand scheme of things, I don't donate to a lot of campaigns because politicians drive me crazy. I don't consider you to be a politician. I consider I you. Yeah, I consider you being an engaged parent, uh, a citizen of the community that just simply wants better. And given the reason why you're running on the heels of that story, I'm definitely making another donation.
1: Yeah, Thank ab- you. absolutely. And I think what's you kind of brought up sort of two interesting points, too. You talk about Utah as being a predominantly white state. I'm from Indiana. It is certainly a predominantly white state. And this is where white people maintain the power structure. There is not a fear in Indiana that we are going to be, you know, have any true diversity or any true diversity in our power, especially in our legislature, because it is so absurdly gerrymandered. Do you have an impression or a thought on why we are seeing states that are far from the border, that are predominantly white? Why is this like a knee-jerk reaction to take, um, you know, not just our history and our civics around um, people of color and how we have treated them and, and abused that, them as a nation, but also to protect LGBTQ kids? Um, why is the pushback so hard when the problem, and I'm using air quotes, doesn't exist in the communities that are having these
2: conversations? So when I do my training, I talk about how we lead from two core emotions and it's fear and love. And I think that there's such a fear and because we have these words and topics and ideas that are being so propagandized—is that even a word? Propag- <laughs> Propagated. <Sure. laughs> so people, I think, I think that they're kind of. I don't like making super broad statements, but in a lot of ways, we maybe are not quite as informed as we could be. We we are a little maybe uneducated on topics, and so we we hear these terms and 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 we we're scared of them. And people, you know, anything that they're scared of, people want to fight. And if people are very safe in their status quo, if they're safe in their positions of privilege and power, they don't want it rocked. They don't want it to change. And so if we start talking about even Juneteenth, right, where all of a sudden it's like, oh, why why this holiday? Why, why don't we, why is it scary? Like people... Th- there's pushback and there's and then it becomes hate and anger and divisiveness. And if you're for this thing, then you're a crazy liberal socialist, you know, all the things, and there's just it, it it's we're, we've dehumanized people to such a level of of you know, just disconnect. I just don't even want to connect with you because you're so very different than me. And I think that if we can shift our perspective, which I know it's so hard because it's so hard for me, I try to understand. The the people that I see that that think a certain way, I I do try to understand, and I can't. <laughs> but uh, it's it's being able to come at it with a little bit more humanity and love. But yeah, I I don't know the answer, and and we have begun. You know, the the pandemic has just exacerbated everything. George Floyd, I mean, on and on and on. We just have so many layers, and it, just so much work. As a nation, we have so much work, and I think there's this idea that we had Martin Luther King Jr., we had the Civil Rights Era, we had we had Barack Obama. We're good. We did all, and no, there's <laughs> we have a lot left to do, and a lot of it is because we have not been informed about our true history. Yeah, hundred so, percent. Yeah, but now I yeah, don't. And want to I talk love.
1: About it. Sorry, I love what you said about um, why are you so scared. Right. I th- and, I, and I think that that is a good question for us to be able to ask when people are pushing back so hard. Why is this scary to you? So I want for our closing thoughts from you, Stacey Burnell, to speak to our audience who feel I think a lot of times the way the three of us have talked today about our participation and interaction and role in our political process why is it so important that every single person who's listening to this podcast, at least on the American side right now, shows up at the polls in November and uses their voice, even if they live in spaces where they don't feel like their voice has been counted Regardless of it, it's because you're a D or an R in a different space, you're a person of color who doesn't see the policy change that we need to have happen, you're a woman, you're a person with a disability. Why do we have to show up in November?
2: I know there are times where it can feel very, very hopeless that my one vote isn't going to make a difference. Like, what's even the point? And I have certainly felt that um, in, the, in the last couple presidential elections and especially being here in Utah which is such a red state but truly truly i mean we we said this earlier that it, change really happens on a local level and that's how that's how we do have the power and that you know i think for me as a school board candidate i have a very small district of about 5000 people who can even vote for me and on that level yes absolutely every vote Matters. Every vote counts. And so I, you know, that's what I tell people is if you don't vote, then then you don't even have a say. And don't don't give that power away. Even if your candidate doesn't win. You don't let them take your power away. So every vote counts and especially on the local level.
0: The book is titled The Things We Don't Talk About: A Memoir of Hardships, Healing and Hope. You can find such at cstacyspeak.com. Again, C Stacey, Stacy, S T A C Y, speak. C Stacy speak.com. And finally, her Twitter handle is Vote the number four, Stacy the number four, O S B. Again, Vote the number four, Stacy the number four, O S B. Stacy, thank you ever so much for joining Jay and I on Crazy and the King.
2: Thanks, both of you.
1: All right. So back for Her Voice segment, we are amplifying women who are making moves. Um, and in the spirit of our conversation with Stacy, we are going to focus on women that have overcome seemingly insurmountable odds.
0: Yep. The she, the her, the thems. Um, and the first one was said by one child. It was said, one child, one teacher, one book, and One pen Can Change the World by Malala Yousafzai. I don't know how to pronounce it, but everyone knows Malala. Yes, indeed. And she said that in her speech after she received the Nobel Peace Prize back in 2014 as a staunch advocate for the education of girls worldwide. She is the youngest Nobel Prize winner in history. And when you think about Malala's story, you see what's possible, what you can overcome, even if it is challenging you even if it's a challenge that is bigger than you, scarier than you might ever think that you can handle, you do have the ability to succeed even when facing impossible odds.
1: And then we have Arlen Hamilton is a remarkable entrepreneur who built a venture capital fund from the ground up, wait for it, while Homeless. She is the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital, a VC firm dedicated to minimizing fundi- funding disparities in tech by investing in high potential founders who are people of color, women, and/or LGBTQ.
0: And real quick, Julie and I recommend that you watch the documentary Girl Rising. We'll put the link in the show notes. It's about unforgettable girls striving beyond their circumstances and overcoming these nearly insurmountable odds that we've talked about this entire episode. Like, let me tell you something. Stacey, she smashed it. She handled it in her TED Talk. That's digital. That's virtual. She dropped the mic in the episode. You can can do that now. And what she did, and I don't know if you caught this, Jay. But what Stacy did was she was the second summer of 2022 guest that recounted a real-life suicide of a teen with the origins of their bullying being inside the school. Two guests in the same summer, it different is- geographies, touching on something so emotional. I can't even talk about, I, I know how you feel. You, you know how we we, we we say these things that are so familiar. Oh, bring your whole self to work. You know, these phrases that make us feel comfortable. I, I could never say, I know how those people feel. I just think that um, her contribution was an installation for all of our listeners to repeat a couple of times.
1: And finally, as we wrap up the show today, hashtag disability Twitter. So I have a hot follow this week. It is Sarita Nolan. You can follow her on Twitter at Nolan, N-L-A-N underscore Sarita, S-Y-R-E-E-T-A. She is a black woman who has a disability, um, who I've been following since really just late June, early July. And she opened up this discussion about the intersections and stigmas associated with being disabled in the black community. And she wants to empower hashtag disabled black talk uh, to have more conversations about evolving fear, stigma and language Um, using the black community to talk about people with disabilities, follow Sarita Nolan. Let us know what you think.
0: I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe, to find your voice, like be committed to building better teams, better culture, better workplaces, really be committed to being a better person. Like I remember telling a client earlier in the week, we don't need technology to be a better. For now, Jay and I are ghost. See ya. Welcome, Change Agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit